Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, good morning, everybody. Great to to see you all. Add my words of welcome to you, to those that have already been given. And I also want to express sympathy for John's family, for for you all as you go through what's not an easy time for any family. But as uh, I was thinking about it today, I I didn't know John overly well and the family, but grief is grief and it, it needs to be faced and it's not easy at any time in life. But this much we know, John is in the presence of his father and he's in the presence, therefore, of love. And love is absolutely everything at the end of the day. So that's the hope we have. And uh, Paul calls death the last enemy, but he said he defeated it. And that's, that's why we're here in a way. We're here because the risen Jesus is amongst us One day he's coming again. So we're going to pray together. Thanks for reading uh, the word to us. If you have your Bible open at Acts 16, thank you, Charlton, for doing that, uh, reading for us. So let's just pray and we'll get straight into it. Father, we thank you for your word and the opportunity to share it together. This is a great passage of scripture. Help us together to unpack it to learn from it for 21st century living and to be encouraged in who you are and what you're doing for us. Just pray the the blanket of the Holy Spirit over this gathering right now as has already been prayed. We, We pray, Holy Spirit, you will help us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Fantastic question, what must I do to be saved? As people who follow Jesus, I hope that you get to hear somebody ask you that question. What must I do to be saved? I love to hear that question, especially here in this world of ours where we seem to have lost any sense of urgency about eternity. It's good to be reminded, isn't it? This is not the end of the deal. This is not the end game. It's a good time and God has been good to us in so many ways. I'm so impressed with the mayor. Goodness me, 14-year-old, hey? Isn't that that's so good? Just talking about what it means to share Jesus in a slightly different context than that which he's used to. But I come back to that sense of urgency about eternity. I, I love to hear that question, and I, I actually want to hear it from our fellow Aussies as well, of course, as other people. I want to hear it from people who are actually lost. One day I might tell you a little story about lostness that concerned me when I was a little tiny uh, fellow. I had no idea I was lost, and I have a sense that so many of our fellow Aussies have no idea they're lost without Jesus Christ, without hope for now and hope for eternity. Without the hope of the freedom of forgiveness of sins and to spend your life, your eternity in the loving arms of Father God. 
people need the Lord. It's an old song. We'll sing it one day back. It might be old, but it's still a goodie. People need the Lord. They need the Lord. I need the Lord. We get to that vital question at the end of this chapter, and I'll be asking the question of you, are you saved? Have you made that crucial decision decision for Jesus? But Acts 16 is here with us. There's so much in this chapter. And we have about five scenes, five broad brushstrokes. So much. These are big chunks of scripture the boss gave me to preach from. <laughs> but that's okay. So I try to think, how can we go through it all? It's, it's actually the, the continuing story. It's the narrative. It's the... It's a missionary itinerary. It's actually the second journey. We'll see it on a map in a moment or two that Paul and his companions. Yes, they did have a Barney, and I always get amused at the fact they had a Barney. It's such a, such a, a crucial, that, that word in the Greek means a, we kind of, paroxysm is a word that we kind of get from it. They were really went for it, Paul and Barnabas, over how young John Mark should do missions. So, that gives me hope because the church is not a perfect place yet. It is in terms of God's love for it and in terms of Jesus owning his bride. But we, yeah, we've got to admit we've got ways to go. But in the midst of that, there is so much here that will help us as we enter into the world of these first century missionaries. And then I want to dwell a little bit longer on the last of the stories that concern Lydia and the Philippian jailer. I wish I knew his name, but one day I plan to say hello to him. So scene one is the second missionary journey. Acts 16 tells us the mission was on. Paul and Silas this time, Barnabas and Paul had parted company. The rest of the book of Acts actually is pretty much about Paul and his team of missioners who were on a missionary journey. There's another mission journey. We're now entering the second missionary journey, and then there's the third, and then the book ends kind of with a, not so much a question mark, but with what's next at the end of Acts 28. And yes, they're not 29 chapters, Charlton, in Acts, but we're writing Acts 29. So the narrative opens with Paul and Silas and a young man, Timothy. The church was growing, being strengthened. It was great. Paul is on about training young people for ministry. Did you hear that? Paul is on about training young people for ministry. I don't want to dwell too long on this, but I'm passionate about young people being trained to take up the mantle of what God has for them as we go forward. When I went to Tasmania, the whole movement of Baptists had so few young people in ministry. Even the youngest of us was in their 40s. And our church was one of the first to put a youth pastor on and bit by bit we gained momentum. When I left that scene due to the work of a colleague of mine, myself and others, we had people in internships, we had young people, even a young one as young as 20 taking a significant pastoral lead in one of our churches. We have to invest in young people and Paul knew that. Be encouraged to do it. Have your eyes open for those in our midst who, who are already showing signs of God's Holy Spirit on their lives and being led. Now, as I've said to people before, we've got to be trained in life. We need education. It's so important and all the rest of it. But that said, and it's not a negative but, that said, God calls people to ministry. 
And we need to hear that and watch what's going on in young people's lives. So Paul sees young Timothy, and Timothy is one of these younger ones. He's well known. He has a believing Jewish mum, a Greek dad. We're not informed as to whether this man was a believer. But Paul does what seems to be a very strange thing in the light of Acts 15, which I'm sure Dave talked through with you at length last week about how this crucial Acts 15 decision was It's actually so crucial in the life of the church and in the life of the spread of the gospel. Because if the council at Jerusalem hadn't happened, you wouldn't be here probably. Because there were people trying to get back to the old way of doing things, the Jewish way, which said you had to work your way into God's presence. But grace says you can't do that. Yeah? So... There were people saying, well, you can have all that stuff, but keep the Jewish law, including circumcisions. So Paul does a strange thing here. Timothy is a Greek. He arranges for him to be circumcised. What's all that about? Well, to cut to the chase, it's really an avoidance matter here, the removal of a potential stumbling block that would prevent a Jewish audience hearing Paul speak about Jesus. We today call it contextualization. It's learning to read your context where you are speaking the gospel. Now that can be applied at a personal level and also at a bigger level, the macro level. I, I haven't got a lot of time to go into it, but one of the, the first things you would do if you joined a missionary organisation would be to do extensive training in contextualization which means you get to know who you're speaking to, how they live and what they're doing. There was a guy called Hudson Taylor, you may have heard of him, 1832 to 1905. He founded the China China Mission, China CIM, way back in the day. China Inland Mission, that's the one. You know everything. And I'm glad you came. And uh, he, he was one of the pioneers to to understand that as an Englishman, it wasn't any good going to China to try and reach Chinese people dressed in his coat and top hat and tails. It didn't work. So he thought, you know what, I need to dress like the Chinese. I need to eat like the Chinese. If I'm going to reach them, that's what I need to do. Do you understand the, the sort of principle that comes from this? Well, a good friend of mine... Um, in Tasmania, Ivan James is my chair of one of the organisations that I led. And he said he, he once was the chair of Australian Baptist Missionary Society. And he said, why can't we apply the principles that we want to have for taking the gospel to overseas situations back here in Australia? And it's true. So what that means for, for us is how do Lobotholians think? How do they dress? How do they eat? How do they live? The tacit assumption is that they're just like us. That's absolutely true. But I reckon if we plugged a little, you know, if we scraped the surface off a bit, we might be really surprised about how little our local community knows about Jesus. How little they know about the gospel. There's so much confusion about what we're on about, what we're sharing and why we're sharing it. Most of you would just be seen as holy Joes that do this Sunday thing and given up your Sunday freedom to go to church. 
we know differently. We don't know it. We don't, we're not talking about that judgmentally. We're just simply saying they don't know. I was interested that you brought out your old Gideon's New Testament. I was thinking about that earlier today, actually, or sometime I was thinking about it. How the Gideons have tried so hard to get the, the word of God into the school situation. And yet I know stories where kids get the New Testament throw it straight in the bin as they walk past. Because there's no Jesus consciousness. I'm not criticising Gideons, I'm just saying that's what we're kind of up against. So contextualisation is what Paul was doing with Timothy. It's a really crucial issue for us. And it's going to take a bit of work. That's okay. Because if we do that work, then they will hear us at the level of the gospel. Second scene is, concerns guidance. Paul and Silas were prevented from sharing the gospel in certain places. Interesting, isn't it, that the Holy Spirit says no to Asia, then the Spirit of Jesus says no to Bithynia, then it's a yes. No, no, yes. No, no, yes. Sometimes we feel roadblocks in missional work. Paul has a vision from a man from Macedonia. Come on, you did it well, Jordan. Come over and help us. Come on. Actually, in the Greek, it's pretty strong. It's pleading. This man that he sees in this vision at night is saying, get over here. This is urgent. And Paul and Silas conclude from that that that's where they're to head. Mission is done best when we listen to God's spirit and follow his direction. We can put this another way. The Holy Spirit is actually the director of mission in the book of Acts. It's not Paul and Silas. It's not Paul and Barnabas. It's not Peter. It's not even any of that hierarchical institutional approach. It's actually God, the Holy Spirit. He alone is directing where he wants the word to be spread. Now, that's an interesting thing, isn't it? Because we can beat ourselves up sometimes about we missed an opportunity or You know, the guilt gets ladled on people. You should have said something here or done this or that there. But the reality is if we listen to what God's saying, if we listen to the promptings, the urgings of the Spirit, it may be as dramatic as a vision at night. It may be something that just gets impressed on you. Have you ever had an impression? I must do such and such. You have to listen to what God's saying. I'm not suggesting that's easy. I'm not because I don't think Paul and Barnabas found it easy here. And they, they wanted to press into mission, but the Spirit was saying, no, no, here, yes. But I tell you what it does, it liberates the church from guilt and it gives us power to push into the mission in fresh new ways. Does that make sense? It applies to us. It's a lot less of a struggle. It's not good English, but it's the way we talk these days. It's a lot less of a struggle, both personally and corporately, when we listen to what God's saying. And if you do, just practice it. Just listen to what God says. Sometimes you may say, you know, you need to get over to Margaret's place now. And five hours later you say, okay, when you get there you say, oh, I wish I'd come a bit earlier. And there may be times when you don't get it right, but don't tremble about that. Just listen. And that's true for us as a group of people. It's true for Hills Baptist right across all the campuses. It's true for the 
the church in general, and it's true especially as we're breaking uh, new ground for us here at Lobethal. The, the third scene is a conversion story. And it's a wonderful, I love the stories. So They're on this missionary journey. I think there might have been a map come up somewhere along the line. You'll get that idea. Uh, and it's exciting because you hear the story of the conversion of a Lydia. Um, I always get excited about hearing conversion stories, yeah? They're the most exciting. Uh, I know people sometimes get really excited when people get healed or some sort of transformation happens, but the most exciting of all is when somebody comes out of darkness and comes into the light when they're actually born again. That gets me jumping more than anything else in the whole wide world. I just love it. I also get concerned when people don't get excited about other people's conversions. Because that's an exciting thing to be and to see other people get saved, yeah? It's huge. And I... You know, I've had the privilege of working with the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. When you see hundreds of people you know, streaming to the front, just some inquiring, some asking, some having genuine experiences of God, it's just so good to be in that environment. And it's good for us. See, the mo- it's a funny thing about the human race. We get so excited about babies. Have you noticed that? <laughs> Rightly so. Rightly so. I don't know something about that, isn't there? Well, it's the same when a child is born into the kingdom of God. Lydia must have been quite some person. She, along with other praying people, women, which is quite interesting in the context of the culture. I don't, I'm not sure why they were out there. But they were there, they were prayers, they were Jewish people, most likely prayers, gathered, a fertile environment for the gospel. Lydia hears Paul preaching, God opens her heart, and that's an interesting thing. She's, her heart is open to gospel truth and she becomes a believer. She's evidently a woman of means, she's a businesswoman. So it's interesting how the book of Acts brings in all these different range of people who hear good news. God, God has no prejudice whatsoever. God has no favourites. It's a really important thing to get that, eh? That A bit is a bit of a Queensland expression. <laughs> but it is important to get it, eh? God doesn't have any favourites in this room. Each one of you is equally important to him and he loves you passionately and deeply. You're not in the family of God where there are special children. You know, you might have felt that as a kid growing up if you've grown up with brothers and sisters, you know. You're sure your mum and dad love somebody else more than they loved you? That kind of thing. Right here in this family of God... You're all equal. And God loves you passionately. But it's interesting how the gospel reaches into the lives of people right across the spectrum. And when she hears the gospel, God opens her heart. That's the other thing. You can't open another person's heart. By the way, if you are an active evangelist or you're seeking to share the gospel, you will never argue somebody into the kingdom of God. You can have good apologies and actually 
you need to have an apology for your faith, which an apology doesn't mean here that you're saying, oh, I'm sorry that I believe this. It means that you know what your faith's about, yes? So all of us, according to 1 Peter chapter 3, need to have a reason for the hope with, that's within us, but to do so with, with a generous, gracious spirit. And that's a fair call, isn't it? Because it's very easy to be known as Bible bashers. We don't actually want that. It doesn't help. But we, but we need confidence also to be able to, to share because the gospel is the truth. But it's God who does the heart work. It's God who does the drawing and pulling people into his own heart. And Lydia hears the gospel and, she, and something springs open and she, she responds, which is absolutely fantastic. And along with her becoming a born-again believer, there's a release of hospitality in her life, which has been referred to already. So scene number four, this is a deliverance story. So as the mission barrels along, mission will by its very nature cause conflict. So we sang songs about suffering and, and, and prevailing in tough times today, and so we should. Mission will involve conflict. We can expect it. We, we, we ought not to be uh, surprised by it, but yes, we are surprised by it. I, I'm always surprised by it. Here at Philippi, we're told of a deliverance from a, a controlling demon in the life of a slave girl, a fortune teller. She was a moneymaker of sorts, not for herself in all probability, but for her owners. There's a whole world here that we wouldn't be overly familiar with, I suspect. It's actually a dramatic account of what happens when there is a confrontation between kingdoms, a battle, a skirmish, a fight, there is a, there, and there is cash involved. Hear this, people. When you see things happening, always look for the money line. There's a money line involved in this whole thing. There's darkness, there's light, there's the kingdom of God, there's the kingdom of Satan, and God always wins. I want you to hear this. Remember, no matter what, God always wins. For those who get their life involved in the book of the Revelation, I call it the Revelation, not Revelations, because that's what it means. It's the book of the Revelation. And people get involved in it sometimes. They're trying to figure out how, how things will go. But here's the deal. God wins. At the end of the day, no matter what you're going through in life, God, your heavenly Father, wins. And because he's your father, you win. The book of the Revelation is a fantastic book about worship and praise and how it's all going to be. Not so much about when and how it will happen. And when the door <coughs> gets open on that, we see, yeah, there's always a clash. And the book of the Revelation tells us that. There is a clash between darkness and light. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. But here, in this situation in Philippi, it's, it's, it's focused in the life of a, a, a girl, a slave girl. Different world than ours, obviously. It's a battle. And in this situation, Paul is annoyed. And in the name of Jesus, the girl is set free. And actually in the Greek, it says she's set free from Python. Now that's rather interesting. She's set free from snake. So whatever was going on in her life, and uh, you may or may not believe in, in 
the whole thing of the demon world and realm, but it, it's there. And actually, there is no word for demon possession in the New Testament. It, it, the word is actually op- oppression. This girl is oppressed by the enemy. And, he, and back in Acts 10, it talks about how Jesus went about setting people free from oppression. This girl is certainly bound by this satanic influence, a spirit. And Paul gets annoyed. That's quite interesting. Why would he get annoyed when she's running around saying, hey, you've got to listen to these guys. They're telling the truth. You think, oh, you're on side. But Paul saw through all that, Satan masquerades. And he says, and Paul gets so annoyed. So that's interesting too, isn't it? So we're not always sweetness and light like people expect us to be. He gets annoyed, and he, but not with the girl. Notice that, not with the girl, but with the satanic oppression that's going on in her life. And he says, in the name of Jesus, and immediately the spirit leaves. That also tells us something. We do not bow down to the enemy at any point over anything, and we do not bow down to anything that he does. We shouldn't be terrified Satan would want us to be terrified. What I see here is Paul wanting a girl set free. People really do matter to God. Thank God for Bill Hybels telling us about people matter to God. His love is so great. He wants people to be healed and released from sin and bondage. It's huge, it's huge, friends. And that's what the cross is all about. That's what love is right there. In the name of Jesus, she is set free. And the rest is there in the text. There's the rented crowd. They incite Silas and uh, incite uh, opposition against Silas and Paul, and there's wrongful imprisonment. And it does not bode well for our missionaries, yet the story is not over. Just yet. Let me go back. There is so much in life that we need to perceive when we see money and the money line. Don't be, don't be deceived what's going on, I say to myself, in the world. Sometimes I get very... I don't know, you just get so... What is happening? And so often in our world, you know, I, in casual conversation with people, it doesn't take me very long... I give it about 30 seconds and I can be in a conversation with people about where is everything going at the moment. We are in such a mess. I hear it over and over and over again. And I've had to remind myself that this is not our home, yeah? This is not what we're intended for. And I have to remind myself that so much is based on the money line. And here in this situation in Philippi, there, was, there were people making huge money out of this girl's ability to predict the future. And that is so interesting in itself because people want to know what's going to happen next. Jeff Bingham said once, you know, when, when people are kind of into that, the border's on the occult. We're trying to see what we're not meant to see. So one of my, one of my life verses is in... Deuteronomy 29.29, I call it the Deuteronomy 29 principle, 29.29 principle. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. 
The thing is revealed to, to us and his children forever. We only know what God shows. You hearing me? This is about the character of God. He has the secret things. There are things that we have. In fact, 1 Corinthians 3 says that, and obviously I'm not quoting it directly, but it says that, you know, there are things that we haven't even yet perceived in the heart of man that God or women, that God has prepared for those who love him. We, I've said this before, if the veil was pulled aside right now, that's such a thin veil between here and where John's gone. We would be blown away by the beauty of it. It was so beautiful that Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians 12 that he had this vision. He, was, he said, I don't know whether I was in the body or out of the body, which kind of brings a different perspective on NDE, near-death experiences, where people will talk about how they died and saw themselves in the body and then they came back, you know, that kind of thing. There's so much evidence out there about that. But Paul says, I don't know whether I was in the body or out of it, but I saw things. I saw heaven. I was caught up there. The things were so beautiful and so, I see these things that are lawful. I can't even speak about them. In fact, I'm not permitted to. Do you hear what I'm saying? So you have this, this, this world that's there all the time. And Paul sees the conflict in this young woman and sets her free. So scene five. I'm trying to finish this off as quickly as I can. It's not easy being a jailer, I guess, at any time. In century one, it's a bad occupation to have. Very easy to lose your life if things go bad. And for a certain Philippian jailer in the Roman colopy, colony, colopy, <laughs> that's a good one, the Roman colony of Philippi in the Macedonian district, I reckon from the moment that he was given the assignment to look after Paul and Silas, this guy was on tenter hooks. Because these men were now in his charge were the worst kind of prisoners. They were political prisoners of the worst kind because they were religious political prisoners. And they come to Philippi and they're preaching some newfangled religion about God and about how God has sent his son into the world and been crucified and, and you get all of that story. And, and to top it off, they're saying this, this God that they were preaching about was alive, not like the Roman gods, not like the Greek gods, not like all the mythological gods, but this God was a live God. And worse than that, they were actually asking people to believe in Jesus Christ. And that if you did, God would set you free from your sins and give you a brand new life. Now already Paul and Silas had called a, a riot in the district. The slave owners, their business was kaput. It means over. And I reckon this guy was really shaken and worried. Because if these men escaped his charge, he would lose his life. It would cost him his life. And he knew that the Romans did things dirty. You fail in your duty, end of subject. And by the time Paul and Silas were given into his charge, they'd been arrested without any trial, and that's interesting. They were condemned to, to prison, even though they were Roman citizens, and that shouldn't have happened. They'd been thrashed. The word 
actually, do you remember when Gibson put out The Passion of the Christ? We kind of had to put, put caveats around people seeing it because it included this flogging scene. It was horrible. Horrible. I remember the first thing. It was, whoa, wow. Well, that's what happened to Paul and Silas. And then to make it even worse, you find the worst place in the prison is right down the dungeon where the sewer stuff is going through the city and you put them in wooden stocks and say, right, spend the night there. And you can imagine that he didn't bring them any tea and coffee or anything quite like that. Ministry does bring suffering sometimes, yes. But here's the thing. It's midnight. It's midnight. And if you had your ears open, you hear singing. But never worship band. <laughs> never worship leader. I don't know what happened to Timothy, but Paul and Silas were praising God at midnight with songs and hymns of praise. It's so fantastic. And I'm not knocking any of the worship bands or anything. I'm just saying, it's just incredible, isn't it? Because I tell you what, I don't reckon I would have been singing. I can't sing the opposition's theme song when they beat the crows at football, let alone in the middle of the night singing praise to God when I'm in the stocks and my feet are swelling up and I'm smelling this stink going past and there are sewer rats crawling all over the place. Just get the picture. Sorry, I won't go any deeper. But I suspect they were not thinking good thoughts. Well, I wouldn't be, but Paul and Silas, where is their vision? On Jesus. And if I can picture for a moment, you could well think, you know, something like this. God loves me and I thought he had a plan for my life, but this doesn't seem too good of a plan. You know, God wants me to happy, be happy, but how can I be happy when my legs and my hurt, back hurt? Or maybe Silas might have said to Paul, this was your idea, Paul, that's why we're in here. I don't know. No, let's bring the wide-angle zoom lens in right down and turn up the audio. In the middle of the night coming from the depths of the prison was a sound that shook the place so much that God heard their praise and an incredible thing happened. At midnight, an earthquake happened. An earthquake and all the chains fly off, the doors are open. It's just an amazing story. By the way, I was praying once, one day, once, one morning, and an earthquake happened and I was praying. <laughs> I still remember it. I was on my knees praying about something and the room shook and I thought, what? <laughs> it didn't last, fortunately. <laughs> Not like Paul and Silas. These guys didn't lose heart. Can you imagine that? They could have. They might, they might have thought, well, God's abandoned us. No, they were praising God. I just, I'm just so amazed by all that. So much so that the, the jailer comes and he, he knows he's in trouble now because there's an earthquake and he, he rushes in and you talked about the lights. Well, these would have been these pitch lights. You know, you've seen it in the films and all the rest of it. It blows you away, folks. He's going to kill himself. He's got a sword out. He knows it's better to die by his own hand than have the Romans put him to death. Yep. In case you missed it, hear this. God loves prayer and worship. God loves it. 
Maybe the jailer's name was Jim, I don't know. But anyway, whoever he was, I'm going to tell you what happened to him. He gets so excited, he comes out with this question. What? You know, in response to Paul saying, don't, don't, stop, stop, don't kill yourself. Stop. Stop. It's okay, we're here, we haven't run away. And the guy says, what must I do to be saved? Do you think that some of the stuff that was going on in the city had got into his head? Maybe the circulation of the story about this Jesus God had got him. What what do I have to do? And Paul says, you know, you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul and Silas, and you and your whole household will be saved. And he does. He believes and his whole household is saved and Right there and then, uh, this man and his family are baptised. Lydia, early with her family, had been baptised. Their lives are changed forever. And the immediate response of this man is to take them in the middle of the night, wash all their wounds. You know, these days we go and put some debt hole or something on our fingers when we cut it up with a rose thorn because of infection. Imagine what was going on in the backs of these men, just cut raw, just cut raw with rods. And so in tender mercy, now he looks after him. Paul and Silas told him to believe. There's only one way to be saved, folks. It's through Jesus, through his death on the cross. He gave his life for you. He rose again. That's our hope. So our sins can be done with now and done with forever. Yeah, there is a lot of skirmishy stuff goes on. I get all that. But let me tell you, that's where we're headed. Next morning, and I really like the next morning of this story, and I learn a lot from it. Paul's having nothing to do with an easy way of dealing with the magistrates or the rulers of the city who had treated them so badly. I want us to hear this, I think. Wrongful imprisonment demanded proper confrontation. And Paul actually says, do you want to get rid of us so quietly to the jailer? You go back and tell them, no way. You tell them to front up here and apologise and let us free. It's a really interesting scenario. I hear this, my sisters and brothers. There are times when we need to learn to push back when things are wrong. We're not meant to just all fall over and capitulate and just be trodden on. Now, that's not an easy thing to wrestle with because there's a lot goes on in this world and it might be personal, it might be on a, a corporate level or whatever, at what point do we actually step back into some places and say, no? Well, quite clearly here, Paul says what the Roman or the, what the magistrates did to these two Roman citizens is clearly wrong. They, weren't, they were in deep, deep trouble for putting Romans in prison without trial, without proper protection, all the rest of it, Right? I think sometimes we need to avoid naivety and learn to trace the money line in politics and in all manners of things that are actually or can be antichrist. So let's wrap it up. It is just fantastic to be saved. And Paul and Silas bring that message. I just wonder what 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 are the things in life that bring me to my knees? What are the things in life that brings 
you to your knees. What, what, what causes a church to find its knees? You can come back. Even in the church right now, what are, what are the things that, that God might want to use just to you know, bring us to that point where we cry out? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love for us, holding us tight in this place. For these fantastic stories from your word that help us to understand that you love us and care for us. And give us hope in, the, in, in what we're doing here at Lobethal in sharing the gospel. I pray we'll be more and more open to your spirit day by day just to let you lead us and guide us. Help me to be more and more open, Father. Fill us up, I pray, each one of us. Give us that hope that is clearly there in your word and clearly there for all of us now. Oh, Father, you so much love these dear ones. I just sense it in my spirit. How, how deep is your love for us? Bring the tears, bring the comfort, bring the release, bring the joy for us all and for all who are associated with this place and for all that you're going to call to this place. Come, Lord Jesus. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people, and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.